0: Welcome to Eastern Carolina Farming. Hello, farmers and friends. I'm Dan Miller. Last week, I think all of us were thinking about spring planting. Today, we're thinking about soybeans. Dr. Charles Hall, the executive director of the North Carolina Soybean Producers, is our guest. We'll also hear from Dr. Deidre Harmon about a cattle get-together that's taking place in our state next month. Next month, by the way, March. That's already here. Plus, in a moment, I'm joined by Jeff Turner, the COO of Murphy Family Ventures. Eastern Carolina Farming is sponsored by Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners, and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to BNC. In two weeks, Ag Commissioner Steve Troxler will be joining us. However, the commissioner passed along they're interested in finding some antique tractors and old farm equipment for this year's Got to Be NC Festival. The festival is May the 19th through the 21st at the state fairgrounds. If you have some old iron to share, head to the website, gottobencfestival.com, and look for the vendors tab. With that item noted, welcome Jeff Turner. Hey, Dan. Good morning. How are you? I am well. Think about the spring weather, and I know people are trying to get every piece of machinery so that it works. Farmers, it's a good idea to boot up your uh, computer devices before heading to the field. There's surely a firmware update, which might be better (laughs) on a better Wi-Fi. This is true. Crazy time.
1: It absolutely is. And, yeah, people are getting ready. There's no doubt about it. Last week we had mid-80s, and I'm certain there will be some cold weather to come the old folks always told me it would always frost around easter so yeah easter's
0: early this year so i think you're going to be right on well we'll we'll see how it works out grain exports from the ukraine have slowed markedly in recent weeks pushing up global prices amid shipping delays and concerns about the looming expiration of the united nations backed deal to give food cargo safe passage russia's invasion of the ukraine last year had initially trapped shipments of wheat sunflower oil and other ag products sparking concerns of a global food crisis, and shipments then recovered after a year-long agreement and a U.N. backpack to resume exports. Now with tensions high again and the first anniversary of the invasion coming up, hard to believe it's been a year, that deal is due to expire March the 19th. I think I
1: said almost a year ago, people are going to go hungry if we don't get this sorted out. Some people will.
0: Oh well, we talked to Jim Wiesmeyer a couple of weeks back, and he said it's going to be worse this year than last year, getting crops in the ground and getting them to market.
1: Prior to that, you had inventories that you could depend on. Those inventories, I, I haven't seen the latest, the oil grains or, or whatever. I, I think we're running probably pretty slim margins. We'll see what happens. Normally, July is when it all kind of hits the fan if you've got low inventory.
0: I read headlines just the other day where China is going to sell off some of its held back wheat reserve in agriculture and in Chinese politics seem to be changing a little bit.
1: My guess is it's probably inferior. So they're going to put it on the market off, put it off on somebody else.
0: I <laughs> see also where the Supreme Court may announce a decision relatively soon on the controversial Prop 12 case that deals with California trying to dictate how hogs are raised. California law being changed bans the sale of pork within the state unless pregnant pigs are allowed at least 24 square feet of space and the ability to stand up, turn around and have a good time with their neighbors. The measure was approved by more than 68 percent of the vote in California back in 2018. The National Pork Producers Council, the American Farm Bureau, which sued in 2019, say the measure violates the so-called dormant commerce clause. Doctrine that says U.S. Constitution limits the power of states to regulate commerce outside the borders of their state without constitutional authorization. Well, I certainly hope so, and I hope it's
1: favorable to to pig farmers because, as I've said at least a thousand times on this show, it's crazy. If it was only a California issue, that's one thing. But when it impacts every grower
0: in the United States, it's another. So I read a great article just last week that said if they're allowed to do this, pretty soon they're going to say, hey, no corn is going to be picked unless you use an electric combine.
1: Well, Could I, be. I wouldn't be at all surprised. I think they've outlawed lawnmowers that are gas-powered. Now chainsaws are next. I now notice someone in Minnesota uh, in one particular city, they're going to outlaw gas-powered lawnmowers. I mean, it just gets worse and worse. I mean, my remark was when I read that uh, in Minnesota, you know, every village has one, and the village
0: idiot. I'm going to be the Charlton Heston. When they come for my wolf range, it's from my cold, dead kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> well, they want it, I can tell you that. I heard that. I'm like Commissioner Troxler. Hungry people are angry people. Coming up in just a moment, we'll talk soybeans with Dr. Charles Hall, the Executive Director of the North Carolina Soybean Producers Association. Eastern Carolina Farming is on the air, thanks in part to Ag Carolina Farm Credit, financing North Carolina for generations, rural North Carolina that is, lending solutions for farms, land, and homes personalized for you. Ag Carolina Farm Credit, giving you room to grow. This is Eastern Carolina Farming on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Myself, Dan Miller, along with Jeff Turner, joined by Dr. Charles Hall, the executive director of the North Carolina Soybean Producers Association. Kind of new on the job, started off back in September of last year. Is that right? Uh, It's
2: actually my second go-around at the Soybean Association. I was uh, in the executive role at North Carolina Soybean from 2006 through 2017. Took a a hiatus there. I I ended up working at U.S. Soybean Export Council, which is uh, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri. Worked for these guys about three years doing export marketing information, The U.S. soybean industry, and I just just recently came back to North Carolina.
1: Yeah, I remember Charles was uh, with soybeans years ago. I I was trying to put it all together when you told me that it was news. But we're, we're glad you're back in the role again. Tell us what's going on in the soybean world for North
2: Carolina. I think the number one thing seems to be just the cost of the inputs, the cost of seed technology, but maybe more importantly right now, the the cost of uh, nutrients and the cost of crop protection products. I think that's probably top of mind. Does
1: it appear that we're going to have enough inventory on hand when it comes to pesticides
2: I'm not the best judge. I, I think it's better than the previous year, certainly. I, I think it's uh, if, if it is, it will be to a lesser extent. But I, I don't want to prognosticate just because I, I would be speaking from ignorance. But I, I think, yeah, definitely better than the previous year.
0: Speaking from ignorance. We do that on this program regularly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what we did. That's what we do. <laughs> that's why we have experts on <laughs> You know, Jeff has said uh, a number of times on the program, that the number of crush facilities in North Carolina are down compared to what they used to be. Why is that?
2: Well, some of those crush plants, uh, the, you, know, you know, the big hexane processing plants where you, you smash a soybean and then you use a, a solvent to separate the oil from the, uh, the protein and the fiber component. Those plants in North Carolina were, were pretty old, totally depreciated. Uh, Cargill closed the plant in Raleigh which uh, had previously been a Perina plant, I think built in 1964 or sometime. On the other hand, Cargill is doing modernizations at the plant that owns at Fayetteville, so uh, there have been some improvements. I think what's really interesting is there have been an awful lot of announcements of new crush plants and crush plant expansions around the country, and that's because of the demand for all types of vegetable oils for renewable diesel production. Uh, but it's interesting to me uh, that there, there have been no expansions or announcements on the East Coast. Really, I, I mean, you might consider what's going on at Fayetteville uh, an improvement or a modernization, but all the new crush capacity that's on the, on the books right now is elsewhere. So it's
0: not on the East Coast. And we're exporting more soybeans for crush than ever before.
2: Well, we, we've always exported a lot of soy. My, my rule of thumb is we basically we, we export every other row mostly as soybeans, uh, some of it as soy meal. But if federal energy policy for, for renewable fuels, advanced biofuels, added to uh, California state energy policy and a couple other states on the West Coast, that's really driving demand for things like renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuel. And, and if that's the case, and in fact, if all of this new crush is is built, or expanded around the country, there's going to be an awful lot more soybean meal produced in the U.S. And if, if, if that's the case, I think the, the price of uh, soy protein and maybe the price of all proteins for the feed industry probably would go down based on the abundance of soy meal, but that, that'll play out over the next two or three or four years. It's not going to happen this year.
1: But That is the silver lining. I, not, not only an increase in soybean prices because of the demand, for those plants, you know, the end product from that process is meal, and it and it's an awful awful lot of meal used uh, in, in to, for, as
0: protein source to feed uh, poultry and livestock. It's a good thing. The soybeans that crush, when the oil is separated off, uh, what is that component used for, and what's left? What is that able to be used for?
2: Well, the the soy meal is is. It is the most preferred, or the preferred terrestrial protein. I mean, plant protein. It's the preferred plant protein for uh, animal nutrition, and and probably for human nutrition too. But but we're our biggest customers are, are pigs and chickens. When, when I look at our value chain here in North Carolina, especially, I, I'm looking at feeding the the one billion chickens we have on the ground, more or less. I mean, I don't know the exact number, but let's say it's a billion, and, and the, the ten million hogs on the ground, that's our customer. So with the, the soy crush, you're, you're, you're smashing that bean, you're taking the oil out, which is, you know, maybe 20% of the soybean. And what's left is uh, protein and some fiber and a little bit of minerals. And, and that goes into animal rations. So really, when we talk about who our customers are, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at feed millers and animal nutritionists, Regardless of the scale whether it's an integrated company or whether whether it's uh, you know the the local feed seed that may be self mixing some feeds for local customers the the great thing about North Carolina soybeans is we have such a great growing climate where it's just the right latitude um, we've got a variety of soil types we, we, we produce a really high quality soybean when the meal is produced I mean uh, the, the animal industry wants what we call the high protein meal which. Forty-seven and a half percent protein or maybe 48 percent protein and and to get that high protein meal you need to start with some really good high protein beans which you know the the soybean may be um 34 35 percent protein before you take the oil and everything else out so we just feel like we've got the world-class soybean right here in north carolina we don't produce enough soy in this state to feed all our animals but the soy we do produce is, is is a really good product so we've we like to think we've got the quality for our animal customers to hit that, um, that high-protein meal that they really need.
0: This is Eastern Carolina Farming and Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Jeff Turner and I are talking with Dr. Charles Hall. He's the executive director of the North Carolina Soybean Producers Association. We'll be back in just a moment. This is Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Monday mornings at 6.30 and Monday evening at 6 o'clock. It's Eastern Carolina Farming. I'm Dan Miller along with Jeff Turner. And today we're talking with Dr. Charles Hall, who's the executive director of the North Carolina Soybean Producers Association. And to back up what you were talking about before the break, about how good North Carolina soybean numbers are, the national average, according to the USDA, 52 bushels per acre, uh, and the uh, the contest entries that you had for the North Carolina soybean yield contest, the average was 82.9 per acre. And Garrett Boyd of Beaufort County, the Blacklands, checked in with 94.6 bushels an acre. So I think that backs up what you're saying.
2: Yeah, we, we've had over 100 bushels an acre in North Carolina. Uh, it, it took a long time to crack that 100 bushel per acre ceiling, but but we did in recent years. And, and we're you, you know, we have farmers hitting pretty close to 100 bushels an acre even now, but... Uh, our, Our statewide average is below the national average. There's a reason for that, and part of it just has to do with we have so many soil types, and we got a big state from east to west. You know, you, you could have an environment that really only manages 20 to 30 bushels an acre, depending on where you are, whether you're planting on sand or you're planning on, you know, heavy clay soil somewhere. It, it just varies so much. 20
1: to 30 bushels per acre in a lot of areas, especially tobacco land. It, you know, the areas where we've grown tobacco for years and years and years is lighter soils, and if you get 25 to 30 bushels, you think you you did pretty good. And then we have... A good number of double crop soybeans where you've got wheat and then beans, you know, overall, it's really good for the farmer. But the yield average does help to dilute the overall average because it's a second crop. Right.
2: I think Jeff made a real good point about double cropping. Um, We're able in North Carolina to to do a crop of soybeans and then come in right behind it, plant winter wheat, get a crop of winter wheat. And and that's been a real good system for, for North Carolina. You know, based on what the what farmers are thinking, the soybean price is going to be, and then everybody, you know, they're, they're they're really intent on what the cost of inputs are, but they're also very intent on where the market's going. Uh, we have seen the trend where uh, farmers are planting what we call earlier, early variety uh, seed genetics, so soybeans that that mature earlier. Those are typically what we call full season beans, so they're not going to be in that double crop situation. But on the other hand, uh, when when those beans are ready, you got to get them out of the field. So we're we're, we're watching some changes in our cropping systems as as farmers try to take advantage of getting a crop out earlier, maybe take take advantage of some better prices that way. So so there, there are some things changing a little bit that we're
0: watching. Last question. You have been in your prior capacity and even now keep your read and stay on top of international headlines. Ukraine, a bigger soybean producer than we thought. Some of the South American countries have had kind of rugged weather in some cases. What does the market look like going forward if you had a crystal ball on the table?
2: I will say, you know, Ukraine is interesting. Uh, When I was working for USEC, I I was in uh, Romania. I went to the port at Constanta, Romania. I saw some of the Ukrainian grain, which had managed to make its way down across the border and into Romania for export. So I I know there's some trickling out there. Uh, We're probably more focused on what that that conflict has done to uh, nutrient markets. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, The soybean market mainly turns on weather in in South America uh, and and what's going on with the Brazilian crops and the Argentinian crops. So that that will be closely watched.
0: Appreciate your time today. Hey, thank you all. I I really enjoyed it. We get that a lot. I think we need to be more abusive, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start again. Why don't you raise the soybean price? (laughs) Yeah, we'll do that next time. Thank you, sir. You have a great day, and we'll look forward to talking to you after harvest. Before you hit the field, comb the pages of the Farmer's Connection. The Farmer's Connection is a color newsprint magazine with items listed right here by local dealers, like Premier Equipment Company in Aden, Beaufort, Enfield, and Rocky Mount, Modern Tractor in Richlands, Mark Chesson & Sons in Williamson Caps Trailers in Kinston. When you find something you need, it won't be that far away, and it won't cost an arm and leg to ship. Grab a copy of the March Farmers Connection when you stop by any independent farm equipment dealer in North or South Carolina or Southern Virginia. This is Eastern Carolina Farming and Talk 96.3 and 103.7. I'm Dan Miller, joined by Dr. Deidre Harmon, associate professor and extension agent. And the 2023 North Carolina Beef Cattle Field Day is not far off.
3: Yeah, we would love to have you. Uh, The North Carolina Beef Cattle Field Day will be on March 18, 2023 at the Butner Beef Cattle Field Lab. That address is 8800 Cassem Road in Bahama, North Carolina. Um, the program starts at 10 a.m. and we'll wrap up around 2.30. It is a free program. Lunch will be provided. Registration starts at 9 a.m., so make sure that you you come and register. Um, you can register online as well if you go to our Beast portal. Uh, we've got really four main topics that we're going to be talking about. One of those is on byproduct feeds, so we're going to showcase some of our current research on byproduct feeds including some of our research on cotton byproducts and wet brewer's grain. We're also going to have some of our beef cattle team talk about the latest and greatest on beef cattle reproduction. Uh, We'll have some graduate students that will share some of their current work on reproductive techniques and management guidelines. We also have um, some of our graduate students and our our extension veterinarian that will talk about parasite and health management of beef cattle herds in North Carolina. And then finally, we're going to wrap up the day and talk about some renovation strategies for your past, if you have a lot of damage this year from mud or drought, we'll talk about how you can can remedy those as well.
0: Dang, couldn't have said it better myself. Dr. Deidre Harmon, associate professor and extension agent, beef cattle specialist. Let's take a look at last week's market numbers. March corn futures fell twenty-seven and three-quarter cents on the week to the lowest level since the first week in January. Soybeans were down one and three quarter cents on the week. Soybeans ended weaker after gapping higher to start the week as weekend frost in Argentina reflected in the market. May cotton rose 84.90 cents to a 340 point gain on the week. Cotton managed a solid rebound as the U.S. dollar indexed higher. For cattle expiring February, live cattle futures of the week at one sixty five twenty. That marks a weekly advance of a dollar sixty two. Most active April cattle also rose to one sixty five thirty seven, ending the week at seventy two and a half cents above a week ago's close. March feeder futures were up two dollars and fifty five cents to close at one eighty nine seven. Nearby April hog futures edged up seventy five cents in the week to close at eighty six point zero two five at Friday's settlement. Hog industry activity on the week was greatly hampered by the winter storm over the central United States with slaughter sharply slowing on Wednesday and Thursday. Close to home North Carolina's egg prices were steady on small, higher on the balance when compared to the prior week. North Carolina weighted average price quoted through Thursday the 23rd for small lot sales delivered carton grade A eggs was 29142 for extra large, 27697 for large, $260.11 for medium and 185 for small eggs. Number two yellow shelled corn was four and a half to sixteen cents lower when compared to the prior week. Prices ranged mostly seven twenty to seven seventy at the feed mills, seven ten to seven sixty five and a half at the elevators through Thursday, the twenty third. Number one yellow soybeans were two to eighteen cents higher and ranged fifteen fifty seven to sixteen nineteen at the processors, mostly fifteen twenty two to fifteen fifty nine at the elevators. Number two red winter wheat was twenty-six and a half to twenty-eight cents lower, range six sixty-one to seven forty-five at the elevators. Soybean meal FOB at processing plants was five fifty-one ten through five fifty-seven seventy per ton for 46.5 to 48% protein. New crop prices quoted for harvest delivery, corn range nine ninety-six to seven hundred two. Soybeans were thirteen sixty-six to fourteen oh nine, and wheat range six thirty-one to seven fifty-nine. North Carolina 2022 season sweet potatoes, 40-pound cartons, number one types were 14 to 17, mostly 16. U.S. number one petites, 10 to $13, some as high as 15. U.S. number twos 9 to 11, and no mark grade A jumbos, 9 to 11, some as low as 6. And that's this week's Eastern Carolina Farming. If you miss the show, play the podcast on demand at ecfarming.com. There you'll also find links to our sponsors, Ag Carolina Farm Credit, First Choice Insurance Partners and the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Got to be NC. Eastern Carolina Farming's a production of Interbank's Media. Support the show, tell your supplier to call Hank at 252-355-1037. For myself, Dan Miller and Jeff Turner, have a great week.